0: The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.
1: Serving spiritual seekers around the world. Unity Online Radio.
2: Are you seeking more energy and ready to have more healings and revealings in your life? then you've tuned into the right program. For the next hour, listen in as Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, shares with you tools you can use to transform your life. She will guide you on a journey to create a life that is intentional and dynamic. Now, here's your host, Reverend Temple Hayes.
1: Welcome, everyone, and thank you so much for listening to our show and sharing it with your friends on social media. We appreciate the fact that because of you, we have thousands of listeners every month, and we're just so grateful to have you as part of our extended group and our connection of uh, reaching people whose world isn't changing, and for that, we are part of a changing world. Today, we have Glenda Lee Hoffman. She's the guest on our show. She's been on TED Talks. Is the author of the book, The Genesis Code. Uh, Glenda, welcome. Do you like to be called Glenda Lee or Glenda? Glenda Lee is
3: is my first name. I have a middle name, Rosella, so I have this big, huge name, but I've always been Glenda Lee.
1: Well, I love huge names because I find from experience that people have the tendency to grow into them, so Glenda Lee, I'm so glad you're here, so glad you're here. We uh, offer tools rather than rules to help people live a more practical life, and we talk about what it's like to be intentional, how, you know, we're all living life, and We're all spiritual beings. Um, But there's something about when we focus on having an intention to move forward in a certain direction. So first of all, thank you for being an intentional spirit. And secondly, how did you wind up being one?
3: Uh, What a wonderful question, and I love your saying, tools, not rules. Mm
1: -hmm. Thank you.
3: (laughs) Well, you know, uh, I... I think intention must have pulled me into being an intentional person because I had several experiences as a child, mystical experiences. I heard a voice say, things are not what they appear to be when I was five. Of course, I had no idea what to do with that information. Then when I was 10, I had a very uh, detailed experience with Jesus, just met him on the road and... Uh, He taught me, basically he taught me then that intention is what provides us with our journey. Although I had no idea that's what I was learning during that experience. It was only as I became an adult and studied the Kabbalah that I began to understand what that original mystical experience was. And then after I studied the Kabbalah, um, that led me to the brain and studying the brain led me to the frontal lobe. And then I learned that in the frontal lobe is the only place in the brain that intention originates from. And it's the only part of the ba- brain that is actually and uniquely human. The rest of the brain is from our evolutionary past. So being an intentional person is actually the only way to be human, fully human. Isn't that interesting?
1: It is interesting. And where I went initially is I kind of got stopped because I thought, well, okay, well, at five years old, I got the same message that you got. Oh, my. <laughs> 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 you don't hear people say that very often, you know, that, that yeah, and I- down energy at five and you go, well, what the heck is that all about? Probably like, myself people tell you you're so lucky that you know you got that when you were a five it's like well yes and no because you don't really <laughs> understand. You know, it feels like a whole lot bigger conversation other than you know what cookie do you like and do you want ice cream and let's go to disney i mean it's kind of a a bigger deal it's like what what does this mean you know were you in a and small you're right. town Or were you with people that treated you like you ought to be in a mystery school?
3: (laughs) Oh, no. I I didn't ever tell anyone about these experiences, thankfully. Um, (laughs) But had I been born, say, 15,000, 20,000 years ago, I would have been introduced to a shaman, and I would have gotten some training. And that certainly would have eased my own journey. As it was, I fumbled toward ecstasy as the Sarah McLaughlin song is titled, Um, my childhood was anything but wonderful. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I was completely confused and disoriented my entire life until I stumbled onto the Kabbalah. But, of course, looking back now, I didn't stumble at all. It was intention that led me the whole time. In fact, I've learned so much about intention that I now know that um, having an intention... To grow will be honored whether we can actually verbalize or put that intention into any kind of rational thought at all all we have to do is have the feeling of wanting it because that's all I had I had no way to put it into words or describe it or define it because I didn't know it was still a mystery to me so I had no idea how to find it but I could feel what I wanted And that feeling pulled me to itself. And I have since found out that that's exactly what our potential is designed to do. It's constantly knocking at our door with little messages like things are not what they appear to be or um, people have dreams. Some people have dreams that give them a little glimmer or they might just have a momentary thought or a nudge of some kind. Everybody experiences it differently, but I can't help but think that everybody experiences something because I'm no different than anybody else there's nothing special about me except that I remembered these experiences and I it wasn't until I was in my 40s I realized that each led to another and and I did have the desire that's the most important part of intention you have to want it you have to want to grow you have to want more than this culture says you can have. You have to reach for it. And in doing so, you activate intention.
1: Well, when along your path, uh, Glenda Lee, did you start, you know, through reading the Kabbalah, you, you started really connecting with... Uh, the Book of Genesis. What was there a defining moment? Was there a series yeah. <laughs> of things that you had like several ahas? Or uh, because I, I had you know, huge, wanted...
3: I I had an, I had the hugest, enormous earthquake, volcanic eruption aha that anyone can have when I deciphered the very first word in Genesis, which is six letters in the original Hebrew. Let me digress a little bit and say that. Oh, please, we, um,
1: please tell us about it because I, I think the the process of discovery often is just as important, if not equally important, than what you discovered. So, please take. Oh, us yeah, there. the
3: process. It, it's always the process because the process mm-hmm. continues forever. Um, the, the Genesis, the first two stories in Genesis, the six days of creation and the Garden of Eden, which are the two most famous stories in the Western world, are coded. They are written in a code. And people have whispered about this for centuries, and, you know, the Bible code came out, which has nothing to do with the Kabbalah. The code is the Kabbalah, and the code is very simple to explain and very difficult to master. What we perceive as words in the text of Genesis are actually acronyms. Each word, like the words, in the beginning, uh, that original phrase was six letters in Hebrew, Beit, resh Aleph, shin Yad, Tav, and I'm sure I'm pronouncing those wrong. But uh, the acronyms are created from the first letters of the names of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So Aleph, uh, has an A, uh, Beit gives the B, uh, Gimel gives a C, what's become a C. Uh, so those first six letters, bet, Resh, Aleph, Shin, Yad, Tav, they create an equation. And in the uh, study of Kabbalah, the letters of the Hebrew alphabet are not used as components of a linguistic system. They are used as components of an energy system, and it comes out similar to something like E equals MC squared, wherein the, these letters, E, M, and C, are not linguistic at all. People who study these kinds of equations know that E stands for energy, M stands for mass, and C stands for the speed of light. So this is how this is, this is. just an analogy for how to understand a Kabbalah. The letters of the Hebrew alphabet do not have a linguistic association in the study of Kabbalah. And that's one of the most difficult hurdles to overcome when you're studying it. So interestingly enough, each letter is also accompanied by a number. And when I studied, I, I quickly learned that it was much easier to study this system through the numbers than the letters because studying the letters, I had to remember the names of the letters and that was much too difficult by studying the numbers which are put on a chart of 1 through 9, 10 through 90, and 100 through 900. And I could see the chart in my mind and it's the position on this chart that gives the letter its energy value. Let's just say that. Mm -hmm. So this first, these first six letters define, describe, and actually penetrate the experience into your mind of the original seed of life in the universe. And that right there I know is a very difficult expression for people to even wrap their minds around, a seed of life. But what I learned from the Kabbalah is that all life is a whole system and the seed, a seed is the smallest and most ubiquitous example of a whole system that we are familiar with in nature, because a seed embodies the integration of polar opposites, the germ and the husk. And without these two polar opposites dancing together, there would be no life, because that, that's what life does. Life integrates opposing energies. To create whole systems. And everything we see in the universe has been created through this pattern. And that's what I saw in those first six letters. I saw not only the pattern, but the original seed and the whole story of evolution in it. Wow. (laughs) And I mean, it was so mind blowing that I, I was simply driving down the road after having studied for nine months getting nowhere absolutely nowhere with this uh decoding of these letters and I was so frustrated and uh confused by the whole mass of it it was just beyond me
1: so literally the the six days that people often take literally the six days or the content of what is about the six days is is truly um every in every seed of life, so to speak. It's not a one time event <laughs> yes. that created no the backdrop of It is our for- it
3: it is yeah, it is the story of our past, but the six days are metaphors for the first six letters. Okay. And the description of those days, even though the story follows the basic pattern of our evolution, in other words First was a void, then there was light, then because this is our evolution, it goes to Earth. Earth was without form and void, then um, there was the firmament and the atmosphere, then the water covered the planet, then the land, then the plants, then the animals, then the human beings. Mm -hmm. That's the same pattern that uh, that the evolutionary story tells us. Right. Then here's the interesting thing. The Garden of Eden is the major portion of this portion of Genesis. The six days of creation is only one chapter. The Garden of Eden is Genesis 2, 3, and 4 up to verse 16. So it's the major portion of the story. And we have been conditioned to think that this, because it's been told to us over and over, that this also takes place in the past, that this is a story of the first man and woman of the human race who lived in this idyllic garden and uh, disobeyed and fell from grace. And now and we're couldn't all. Couldn't eat
1: fruit when that's. And couldn't <laughs> right, do and, juicing. They couldn't do juicing because they're not supposed to eat an apple. <laughs> that so never here's made the sense thing. <laughs> what
3: the Kabbalah taught me is that the pattern is of between an inner germ and an outer husk, or an inner generative potential and an outer static structural element. This pattern exists in every single letter, in every single word, in every single sentence, in every single verse, in every single chapter, and in the two stories. And once I learned to see this inner, outer pattern, I went, oh my gosh, that means, yeah, the, um, and, it, and it goes back to Joseph Campbell, who said, every ancient cosmology also included a mythology. And he named every single one except Genesis, and yet it's right there. The six days of creation is our cosmology, and the Garden of Eden is our mythology. And, of course, that's where, you, where all the mythological imagery comes into play. Because say in that, Glenda,
1: creation, Glenda Lee, would you say that again, what you just said? I'm going said. to say it
3: again in a little bit different way. The six days of creation uh, is the outer story, the story of co- our cosmology, Okay. And and it is the story of our evolution, how our physical body came to be here. the uh, The Garden of Eden story is uh, an inner story. It's the story of the human psyche. Then and now, we are still dealing with the same elements in the human psyche that that when this story was written. So in Genesis one. All the elements in the story are natural. The birds in the sky, the fish in the seas, um, the the story of evolution, that is exactly the the same way that uh, science describes it. But in Genesis uh, 2, with the beginning of the Garden of Eden story, you have all these fantastic mythological images. You have a woman created from a man's rib. You have a tree named the Tree of the Knowledge of Good and Evil which has this ominous fruit that supposedly Adam was commanded not to eat, which there is no sentence in that story that commands Adam not to eat that fruit. Those words have been completely twisted by this uh, distorted version of the story that we've been given. And, And a serpent talks to a woman. So these mythological images were written in order to signal to the reader, hey, this is a different story. It needs to be read in a completely different context than the first story. And the the other thing that I had learned from the Kabbalah is that disruption is the germination of change and intention. Disruption... In our, in our conditioned way of thinking, disruption is something we fear and try to protect ourselves from. In the Kabbalah, disruption is something we embrace and use as a tool to honor our intention. Because what in disruption does is, is put a spark in the midst of any static element that cracks its rigidity and allows flexibility and energy to flow again. So, for instance, blossoms budding out of, a, of limbs on a tree, that's a disruption. Uh, the, the egg being produced by the chicken and then germinating for however many days and then being born, the chick being born, that's a disruption of the static element. In fact, the chick has to actually break out of that static shell that it's been encased in. So the Kabbalah taught me that this disruptive element is essential to living an intentional life, and that that's what happens in Genesis. There's this enormous disruption between Genesis 1, the six days of creation, and Genesis 2, 3, and 4, the Garden of Eden story, which has not been recognized at all by traditional interpretations.
1: Hmm, that, is so, that is so powerful. It's like I'm hanging on to every word, and I've... Just so shocked that it's already time to go to break. Uh, We're talking today to (laughs) Glenda Lee Hoffman. And you can go to her website and you can uh, learn more about what she's talking about. Also, order the book, uh, The Genesis Code. So the website is thegenesiscode.com. You're listening to The Intentional Spirit here on Unity Online Radio. We'll be right back. Unity Online Radio is bringing the message of unity to tens of thousands of spiritual seekers around the world. If you have been served by this programming, we invite you to support it by visiting www.unity.fm and clicking on Donate Now. Thank you for your support.
0: Imagine the powerful, poignant poetry of Unity Poet Laureate James Dillett Freeman. Beautifully put to music by award-winning songwriter Kathy DeWitt. It's here, The Traveler, new music to the words of James Dillett Freeman, a remarkable collaboration across space and time.
1: Sometimes from I know not what strange strand Then I am as in a dream A dream I never remember Yet somehow I understand
0: Visit thetraveler.us to get the CD, songbook, and free
2: downloads Oprah Winfrey says that Eric Butterworth's book, Discover the Power Within You, changed her perspective on life and religion. Maya Angelou quotes Emily Cady's Lessons in Truth as she recalls her own spiritual awakening. What do these books have in common? They share Unity's classic teachings. Join Rev. Laura Beth Gilbreth, Minister of Unity Transformation, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. For Hooked on Classics, exploring Unity's classic teachings, follow along and contribute your thoughts, questions, and ideas as we examine these foundational teachings through the works of Unity authors past and present. Hooked on Classics, exploring Unity's classic teachings, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for listening to The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being with Reverend Temple Hayes. If you have a question or comment about today's discussion, you can email us at spirit at org. Now, here is your host, Reverend Temple Hayes.
1: And Welcome back everyone and we're talking today with Glenda Lee Hoffman. She is the author of The Genesis Code with the subtitle, Your Key to Unlocking Hidden Genius. Wow, that just by itself sounds sounds so powerful. You know, the other thing I'm I'm noticing on your website, thegenesiscode.com, Glenda Lee, is how genius uh, obviously comes from the word genesis. I mean, they're they're cousins. They're just... (laughs) Yes, not only that,
3: genius, but generate, generous, generative. These all have the same root word, gen, which is uh, part of the genesis uh, chronology, if you will. Uh, And the word genesis means to begin again and as human beings this is what we came to do we became to we we became we came here to begin discovering ourselves again over and over and over because that's that's how we change and because our brain is has the capability of changing an infinite number of times this is what we came here to do explore our infinite possibilities, wherein we discover our genius.
1: Well, with this information resonating and being so true, and we, 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 we feel it from the research and the science to prove it, etc. cetera, uh, why is it that more people just aren't aware of this information? Of the human brain story. In your own brain opinion. <laughs> yeah, in your the, opinion the, and in mine. Why is that? Yeah. We'll the other side free, of or... the human brain story <laughs> is that
3: the human brain is highly susceptible to social information. So we happen to have grown up in a culture that has systematically destroyed the original wisdom information in this story, beginning with the destruction of all the goddess information back in the B.C. times. Because in this story, as back then, Eve is the hero. She's the actual hero of the story. Of course, she hasn't been portrayed by that, by traditional interpretations but once you understand that the context in which those interpretations were made is completely erroneous, that the true context of this story is within the human psyche and that Adam and Eve represent two different types of intellect or intelligence, the intellect and intuition, and that it's Eve's purpose to go into the unknown to find the information of self-growth and bring it to the intellect so that the awareness of each person can expand. And that's precisely what she does by eating the fruit first and recognizing that it is not the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is duality. It's the fruit of wholeness because it was produced by the tree which emerged from the seed, which carries the pattern of wholeness, which is the integration of the opposing elements of German husk. And within that epiphany that she had of wholeness, she said, here, Adam, this is not the knowledge of good and evil. This is the knowledge of wholeness. And if you don't believe me, taste it for yourself. And the whole process of digestion is another metaphor that we use commonly today for digesting information. And the entire story is about how the brain and the psyche processes information, specifically the information of duality versus the information of wholeness. So in our culture, and it was written for our culture, because our culture promotes the information of duality and suppresses the information of wholeness. And so all of us grow up in in this culture and so because we grow up in a culture that says duality is true and wholeness is false, we all feel as if we don't belong here and we don't fit in this culture of duality because we don't. Because as whole individuals, we don't recognize the dual nature of our social system, all our social institutions. So we feel wow. uncomfortable. And, and
1: that's and why so, um, right. that's why uh unity and our communities of unity or our other spiritual rather than religious organizations are so crucial because yes. we teach wholeness. I mean, I was just yes. talking about last week about uh Merton's uh quote where he he said that Within all living things, there is hidden wholeness. And so that's why when people come here, they say, well, for the first time sometimes in their lives, they feel home. Because we're not teaching duality. We're talking wholeness. Exactly. that's really powerful. I mean, it just makes perfect sense. It's incredibly
3: powerful. You Mm -hmm. are a haven and a beacon for all those trying to find their way home. Because the rest of the culture is just consumed with duality. And uh, everybody living in it is uncomfortable. They can't help but be. Even the rich. Here's the, <laughs> you know, back during the times of slavery, the abolitionists used to say, you know, slavery is just as bad for the slave owner as it is for the slave.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Because the, the abolitionists understood how badly slavery marked the psyche of the slave owner. Perhaps the slave experienced the physical punishment, but the slave owner was, had the mind that was enslaved. So today we grow up in a culture that enslaves our mind to duality, and each of us has this wholeness aspect in our, in our psyche that is calling to us. This isn't it. This isn't all there is. Like my voice said, things are not what they appear to be. And so we either respond to that call or we don't. And if we don't, we simply languish in our duality, in our confusion, our frustration. And if we do heed the call, then we fumble towards ecstasy because there's no right path. There's only going inward and allowing our inner wholeness to shine a light that we follow step by step into the unknown. And oh, yet wow. Genesis, the Garden of Eden story, tells us about that journey. Step by step into the unknown begins by eating that fruit of duality and recognizing that, it, that the name of the fruit has been distorted, that there is no such thing as duality, that duality has never existed good and evil never existed never will have that everything in the universe is enveloped in the love that originates in the original pulse of wholeness that generated everything beginning with light
1: so if if within the generations to come if people really understood wholeness from day one then so much of the manipulation, control, big people over little people, would over time be non-existent. Is that...
3: Well, yeah, it would disappear. And, mm-hmm. and we have been heading in that direction since civilization began. And we've had fits and starts uh, with it. Someone comes along, like Jesus, who has the message, and it gets heard for a while. And then the old powers of domination... Uh, come in and dominate again. And the reason this happens is because three-quarters of the brain is not human. And uh, science backs this up. The, the human brain is the only organ in the body that clearly delineates its evolutionary journey. So that in the brain we have a reptilian cortex, an early mammalian cortex, a hominid cortex, and then a, finally a human cortex. And the human cortex is called the frontal lobe, and it sits right behind the forehead, which is why the human skull has that very distinctive high-domed forehead that uh, separates it and, uh, from the earlier hominid cortexes, which came before it, the, the hominid creatures, which many scientists are still confused about. Uh, many scientists think that the bipedal hominids were, f- were the first humans, but Genesis made very clear to me that humans are a disruption from that evolutionary line. And, and here's how the disruption goes. That evolutionary line can only be aware of existence. And in this context, there is an enormous dif- difference between life and existence. For instance, in the movie Braveheart, Mel, the Mel Gibson character, William Wallace, says, Um, sometime in the movie, everybody dies, not everyone lives. And so, of course, what does he mean by that? Well, what he means is that we we all exist, but we don't necessarily live because of this enormous difference between living. And for human beings, it means if we truly want to be alive, we have to discover our own wholeness and we have to begin our journey of self-discovery to our own genius. And that is an inner journey. It, and, and so the frontal lobe is the only part of the brain that looks inward to the interior of the brain and it can see what those other cortexes are doing. And those other cortexes, they're the ones doing all the, quote-unquote, evil, dominating uh eco-destroying activities that we all know are subhuman. These cortexes exist within all of us, so we are all on the same journey, and that journey is to transform our own brain. Giving the frontal lobe where intention resides, activating our intention to bring the, the the agendas of those other cortexes into and under the agenda of the frontal lobe, which is the only human cortex in the brain. And that means what I discovered, the easiest way to describe that is that to be truly human is to be angelic. Humans are kind, tender, they they do not consciously hurt others physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, or economically. They are democratic. They are egalitarian. They are not sexist. Uh, every attribute that we have applied to angels are really our our true human attributes.
1: Wow. <laughs> That's- this Especially is just, healing. It, uh, it's so profound. I mean, isn't it? It is. And and see,
3: that is a, the human brain is a complete disruption from all the brains that came before it that still exist within the human skull because of this ability to be self-aware, self aware, um, self, and discover ourselves as whole beings with the ability to consistently and constantly change until we become angelic and when we become angelic we recognize it because it feels good
1: it it feels like home wow well, i know uh, those of you that are listening um Right now are just doing as many wows as I'm doing, because I'm doing a lot more of them on the inside than I am on the outside. <laughs> I'm talking today and we, to Glenda le- Lee. And
3: I want to oh. reassure your listeners that to be angelic doesn't mean you're perfect. Of course, that does, yes. It doesn't mean that at all. Being angelic simply means we know how to treat ourselves well in a healthy, wholesome manner, and we know how to treat others well in a healthy, wholesome manner. It doesn't mean that we won't get angry at bad drivers or we won't uh, explicate with F-bombs when we stub our toe. It means that our intentions are always pure and that to the degree which we are capable, we will always honor our intentions,
1: our purest intentions. Mm, I love that. I love that. Our purest intentions, because we are in a we are in a, a human suit. I want to remind yeah. everybody to go to the website since we're going to break now. To go to thegenesiscode.com, where you can learn more about Glenda Lee Hoffman, her schedule, uh, various things that she does. Uh, you can enter into her website to know more about her because this is indeed quite fascinating. I'm Temple Hayes. I would also urge you to go to our website, unitycampus.org. You can find out about the various programs. If you love conversations like this, the Unity Healthy Way of Living, spiritual rather than religious, or in addition to that, we offer tools rather than rules for practical application and how you can have an intentional life, please join us. We also have live streaming that you can watch in a library at any time. We'll be right back following this short break. Thank you for being with us today.
0: In his new book, What If Godzilla Just Wanted a Hug?, As co-host of Unity Online Radio's Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed, Daryl's old-school charm and no-nonsense approach to spirituality keep a global audience laughing and inspired. What If Godzilla Just Wanted a Hug is loaded with Daryl's hilarious, award-winning illustrations and packs his wit and wisdom into easy-to-digest, bite-sized stories of how he transforms chaos into tranquility and succeeds in the entertainment business by doing the opposite of everyone else. What If Godzilla Just Wanted a Hug is a pocket Bible encouraging the talented and timid to trust their gut Have fun ordering your copy of What If Godzilla Just Wanted a Hug today on Amazon.com. The benefits of spiritually conscious living start now. For a time-tested method to live with purpose and release your infinite potential, tune in to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way. With Yogacarya Ellen Grace O'Brien, every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
2: We now return to The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being. With your host, Reverend Temple Hayes.
1: And welcome back, everyone. And we're talking to Glenda Lee Hoffman. She is the author of The Genesis Code. And you have, I love your website. I've been on it. I've watched your TED Talk, which I would encourage other people to do because it's very informative. Um, tell us about the other things that you have available there, Glenda. The GenesisCode.com.
3: I have a free ebook that I would like to send everyone. All you have to do is go to my web page and put your email in. Uh, the ebook is titled Seven Techniques to Cultivate Your Genius," and it is, as you said, tools, not rules. It's just little tools that I picked up or developed along the way that helped me enormously on my own journey of self-discovery. So I encourage all your listeners to go uh, go to my web page and put their emails in and let me send you that free ebook.
1: Well, I'm sending mine in right now.
3: <laughs> You'll get it today.
1: So, I've already got mine on its way over.
3: <laughs> Good for you.
1: Yeah, there we go. It only takes a it only takes a few seconds. So, I'd urge yeah. all of you to do that as well because um it's just it it's great information and you know, this is the kind of thing when you have a lot of these ahas or epiphanies. It's it's real important to follow it through and to look at the strategies of what you're going to do. Because keep in mind, many of us have been hearing it the other way uh, most of our lives. I mean, it's just very common for us to hear good, bad, light, dark, duality, duality everywhere. And so it yeah. does take some intention. Uh, and some awareness, that's why we offer this show, is to give people new windows from an open heart and mind to see how life can really be. Because we've and been he- programmed uh, for way too long, and it's time to get off the cross, honey, they need the wood. <laughs> it's time for us to, to really live and to be totally alive and who we are uh, truly created to be.
3: And here's the most important thing about that. And this is where intention comes into play. We have to want it. We have to actively want a better life. We don't have to define it. We just have to want it. And that desire for more, for better information, for clarity, will activate our intention exactly like planting a seed in the soil and watching it grow. That's how intention works. And it's one reason why the Garden of Eden story is about the metaphor of a garden, because intention works that way. Plant that seed of desire. If you are not satisfied w- with your life, whether you are rich or poor, beautiful or plain, famous or not, uh, we're all, basically we're all on the Titanic in that our, our minds have been conditioned to believe erroneous information. So all of us are unhappy in some respect. And the the quickest, most powerful way to move towards happiness is to desire it. Don't tell yourself this is all there is, because it isn't. There is so much more. Most of us can't even imagine how good life can be.
1: Mm. Well, when you... Um, started really making this connection, did you see your life? Um, Obviously you did, or you wouldn't be talking about it, but did your life, like, totally transform?
3: Well, uh, interestingly, um, even though I had many epiphanies and revelations, and, again, epiphanies and revelations are simply disruptions, disruptions from our old static thinking. Um, No, my life changed very slowly and gradually. And I suspect that this happens for most people. And the reason is very simple. It's physics. It's neurology. The brain has to grow new neurons and neural pathways back to those older cortexes, the reptilian, mammalian, and hominid cortexes, in order to transform the energies of those cortexes from reptilian, mammalian, and hominid into human in other words, um, let's just give this one example. The reptilian cortex is very predatory. Now, some people uh, instinctively use that predatory behavior in its, its raw patterns. They go hunting or, um, you know, silly, serial killers hunt, actually hunt and kill people. But other people have learned to transform that predatory behavior. And in fact, most of us have. So for, say, uh, a scientist who is looking for the cure to cystic fibrosis, he's using that predatory behavior, but he's using it to hunt for something that will heal uh, a diseased body. Uh, It's the same with uh, people who go to the Amazon or to, to exotic places to hunt for herbs that have a healing effect. So... We all have this capacity to use this predatory, instinctual behavior from the reptilian cortex in a wholesome, healthy way. And that's our vocation as human beings, is to learn how to do that with every aspect of our brain. So we come with this reptilian-mammalian-hominid uh, regressive part of our brain but as human beings our job is to use the frontal lobe and our intention to transform all those old patterns into human patterns to use them for our benefit because if we don't they will act as reptiles mammals and hominids and that's where we get all the drama in soap operas and all the drama in our lives they originating from those older cortexes, which haven't yet been uh, reconnected and integrated from the frontal lobe to the frontal lobe.
1: And is your seven-step process, is it going to guide us to some of the things that we can do that start exercising the potentiality of our genius? very
3: definitely. And the most important one, after desiring to be more human, which is more angelic, The the very first most important task is to learn to observe oneself inwardly and outwardly without any judgment at all, to observe all of our actions, all of our feelings, all of our thoughts, all of our intentions, our values, our desires, to learn to observe those objectively like a scientist so that we can then begin to discern which behaviors lead to consequences we don't don't like in our lives that's how people change they learn to see the source of the bad things that happen in their life and when you learn to see that clearly to me that was always the moment of change when i recognized that what i was doing or what i was feeling or what i was thinking led to this negative consequence that i hated it was like duh no brainer why would i Why would I want to keep doing that when I know the consequence is going to be very uncomfortable and make me unhappy? So that's one of the most important tools is to learn how to watch our psyche and our behavior so that we can engage in thoughts, feelings, and behaviors that bring us the consequences we want, that fulfill us, that light us up.
1: Which brings us into that whole really true place of being in our wholeness, starting from there, um, yes. co-creator. You know, And we,
3: we feel that. We can feel mm-hmm. that. I, I use the analogy of the basketball player, and it can be a male or a female, who's standing on the court somewhere outside the free throw line and lobs the ball and it makes this perfect arc and just lands into the basket. There's a feeling that happens in the body when that happens. And that feeling goes all the way back to the brain recognizing just exactly which foot was forward and where the balance of the body was and just how the ball went off the tips of the fingertips. And everything comes into alignment, and it's this feeling of such satisfaction and joy. And that's the same feeling we get when we look at our life and discover the clarity that allows us to know, which thoughts, feelings, and behaviors lead to bad consequences for us and which lead to the reality of us feeling like we are true human beings. It's all inside of us. All of this is there.
1: Well, I want to thank you, Glenda Lee, for your work and what you're doing in the world. Uh, like myself, you're committed to being part of a changing world by hopefully being able to get through to people whose lives and whose world isn't changing. So I want to thank you for the work that you're doing out in the mainstream and into various fields of science and on the TED circuit and and keep doing with what you're doing with Fire and Passion. It's truly been a pleasure to have you on the show today. Again, I want to remind everybody to go to her website, Genesis GenesisCode, thegenesiscode.com, and you can go ahead and order your seven steps in order to tap into your genius. Glenda, thank you for being with us today. It's been a true pleasure.
3: Thank you so much, Temple. It's been wonderful. You, you're a fabulous host.
1: Oh, thank you. And many blessings to all of you out in the field. And please stay in touch and visit us anytime at unitycampus.org. And God bless you on this incredible journey and this amazing path that we call life. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you for tuning into The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being with Reverend Temple Hayes. Join us every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Central for tools and simple applications which will support you from being alive to fully living. This program is brought to you in part by First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida. To learn more about this ministry, go to www.unitycampus.org or www.templehaze.org.
0: Only takes a moment If you are able to safely turn your attention Away from the demands of your activities Quiet your mind and affirm There is a divine plan at work in my life I now relax, let go, and let it unfold Listen attentively, inwardly Without projecting any thoughts about what you think should happen Or be experienced Become as a child trusting and receptive to the guidance of spirit within.
2: This meditative moment, adapted from Mary Cupferly's God Will See You Through, is brought to you by Unity. What if you were intentional about your life? committed to having more energy and being more vibrant join reverend temple hayes spiritual leader of first unity at unity campus in saint petersburg florida as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy love and joy you hold in your wildest imagining Talk with Janice live every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Central on Receive Your Life, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Oprah Winfrey says that Eric Butterworth's book, Discover the Power Within You, Changed her perspective on life and religion. Maya Angelou quotes Emily Cady's Lessons in Truth as she recalls her own spiritual awakening. What do these books have in common? They share Unity's classic teachings. Join Reverend Laura Beth Gilbreth, Minister of Unity Transformation, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, for Hooked On Classics, exploring Unity's classic teachings. Follow along and contribute your thoughts, questions, and ideas as we examine these foundational teachings through the works of Unity authors past and present. Hooked on Classics, exploring Unity's classic teachings, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
0: Music Speaks Louder Than Words is an inspiring, informative, and fun hour of uplifting, heartfelt music and commentary that delivers a powerful message of love, joy, and oneness. It will keep you smiling and singing along. Your hosts, Reverends Dale Worley and Christy Snow, are alive with the Spirit of God and singing their love to you each Thursday afternoon at 3 p.m. Central Time with Music Speaks Louder Than Words music. It's the only thing that the whole world listens to.
2: Music speaks louder than words when you sing.
1: i light a
0: candle in your name. Just like life, grief is a journey, not a destination. Whether it is loss of life, relationship, security, or simply the process of change, have you given yourself permission to begin your journey of grief? Have you yielded to the gift of grace? Join Rev. Chaz Wesley every Thursday at 5 p.m. Central on a virtual navigation from grief to grace and explore new horizons of empowerment, significance, and support only on Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. I light a candle in your name. I'm Suzanne Geestman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope.